Hello and welcome to the East Baltimore Graffiti Church's podcast. We are so excited to have you join us today. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at ebgraffitichurch at gmail.com. Or you can check us out on our website at ebgraffitichurch.org. Thank you all for having me. I have had the honor of preaching, I think, one other time down here. I'm a friend of Pastor Charlie's. I um, My Families have been involved kind of from the beginning. Many of you guys know my father, David Childs. He's the real tall, older guy who's been helping Pastor Charlie with a lot of the con- construction. So that's my dad. Um, I met Pastor Charlie five or six years ago when he was just kind of moving to Baltimore. And I told him, I said, you know, I'm, I'm not a full-time minister, but... I run the moving company in here. I said, we all serve the Lord differently. I said, I serve the Lord with trucks and men and and labor and whatever you guys need for the kingdom work there with the resources I have. It's at the king's disposal. So uh, Pastor Charlie and I have been friends ever since, and um, I'm grateful that he asked me to come share with you here this morning. Um, I know we just got past Easter, but I want to look at the resurrection one more time. Uh, the resurrection is the reason we gather every Sunday, so you kind of can't preach it out, eh, Ben? Um, I want to start this morning, and you're going to have to bear with me. I have a bit of a cough, so if I start coughing, just hang with me. I'll get back to the Word. But I want to start by looking at first John's account of the resurrection from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 9. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter on the other, and the other disciple that Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other tomb both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now, the other disciple is John, and John's got to be the most competitive guy you ever saw, because he's making sure he puts in the Word of God that he's faster runner than Peter. So he says, I outran Peter, I got there first. And so it says, he reached the tomb first, and he bent over, and he looked in in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter, who was behind him, he's got to throw that in, remember, he's still faster than Peter. Peter, who was behind him, got there, and uh, he too saw the strips of linen laying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head, and the cloth that folded up uh, by itself, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, he's throwing that in there again, I was first, he also went inside, and he saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had been raised from the dead. So that's John's account. And I want to look at Luke's account. So from the beginning of Luke chapter 24, we read this. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes gleamed like lightning, stood there beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, 
Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified on the third day, and be raised again. And then they remembered his words. And they came back from the tomb, and they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, the mother of Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw strips of linen laying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Let me pray for a minute. Heavenly Father, I just pray that as we look at this story, a story, Lord, that we've all heard so many times, I just pray that this morning you'd give us humble hearts, open ears, uh, sensitivity of our spirit that we can really grasp the good news we have here this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So what caught my eye when reading through this uh, account of Luke 24 here was what the angels said to them in 24-7. He said, He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, must be crucified on the third day, and raised again. And until I was preparing for this sermon, I never really realized how explicit Jesus had been with his disciples about what was going to happen to him. In my mind, maybe he'd made some vague references. We know he talked about the sign of Jonah, how he'd be in the belly of the whale for three days. We know that he talked in a metaphor about the tearing down of the temple and being rebuilt in three days. But I was thinking to myself, did he ever really tell them that he was going to be crucified, buried, and rise again? Well, let's uh, flip back. Let's look at Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, verse 22, we read this. See where I got it. Okay. It says, Then Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anyone. And he said to them, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. He told the disciples exactly what was going to happen. In Luke chapter 18, we read this. Luke 18 Verse 31, it says, And Jesus took the twelve aside, and he told them, We're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. You see, These aren't some vague references. Jesus told them what was going to happen. Luke 18 is the chapter right before the triumphal entry where he rides into Jerusalem. So a couple days before they go to Jerusalem, Jesus tells them. And if we look at the context, it says he pulled the 12 aside. These are his good buddies, his close friends. He pulls them in like, guys, look at me. Connect with me here. I'm going to Jerusalem. They're going to kill me. And I will rise again in three days. This happens right before 
See, these are private, intimate conversations that the Lord is having with his disciples right before Palm Sunday. And you might say, you know, sure, but could they really understand that he was being serious, a resurrection? He talked to them about so many parables. Maybe they thought he was speaking metaphorically. Who could really believe that he meant to die and raise from the dead? But to that I say, these are the same guys who were with him in Luke chapter 7. Luke 7, 11 through 15 says this. It says, Soon after Jesus went to town to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. And as, as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he went out to her and he said, Don't cry. And then he went up and he touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. Young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Now, who could believe a resurrection was going to happen? Maybe the guys who saw a resurrection, who saw Jesus raised from the dead? Now, you think... Man, how did they not understand? Well, let's look at another passage. Who could believe a resurrection was happening? In Luke chapter 8, verse 49, we read this. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. And when he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go with him except for Peter and John and James and the child's father and mother. And meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and he said, my child, get up. And the spirit returned to her at once, and, and she stood up. And then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone happened. Did you catch who was in the room? Hardly anybody, the child's parents. But it says, right there, it says, Peter and John and James were in the room when he raised the little girl. She was dead, laying on the bed, and he said, little girl, get up. And they watched life come back from her. They had seen the resurrection power of Jesus. So you say, who should have known a resurrection was coming on Easter morning? I'd say the guys who were there when he said to the little girl, get up. Now perhaps one of the most poignant foreshadowings of Christ's own death and resurrection that had also been witnessed by the disciples comes when he raised their friend Lazarus back to life in John chapter 11. So if we look to John chapter 11, let me turn there. I'm going to read verses 17 through 44, but before, <coughs> excuse me, before I get there, let me tell you what's happening. So Jesus is with his disciples and uh, his good friends. They're a family, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Uh, he'd spent a lot of time with them before. So they send word to Jesus, the sisters do, and said, Our brother is sick. Would you please come heal him? These are his, 
his close friends, his believers, they know that Jesus has the power to heal their brother. And we learn later in the chapter that Jesus is only a couple miles away. He could have walked there in 45 minutes, but he doesn't. He stays a few extra days where he is and Lazarus dies. And we pick up the story there in uh, John chapter 11, verse 17. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, John eleven seventeen, And it says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them. So Jesus... Couldn't make the journey there. Lazarus has already died, and the friends have already started to gather. Everyone else seems to have been able to make it, but from their perspective, not Jesus. He wasn't there yet. And it says, When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. But Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus said to her, and hear these words, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, <laughs> she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. He who has come into the world. And after she had said this, she, sent, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, he said, and is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him, when the Jews who had been with them in the house were comforting her. Noticed how quickly she got up and ran and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you have been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord. And Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there will be a bad odor, for he's been in there for four days. And then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you would always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe you sent me. And then he said this, and Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Do you see the picture here? A tomb 
with a big stone across the entrance. Does this remind you of anything? Any other story in the Bible? So I say to you, who should have been expecting a resurrection on Easter morning? You'd think it'd be the guys who had watched Jesus roll the stone away, who had watched him say to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. They'd witnessed the resurrection power of Jesus. They'd seen it. Anybody on earth who should have been expecting a resurrection on Easter morning, you'd think it would have been these guys. You see, the power of the resurrection is so real that if you're not shocked by the claim, then you're not paying attention. Anybody who thinks of it, if you're not overwhelmed by the reality of the resurrection, then you haven't taken it seriously. Hear the words that Jesus spoke to Lazarus' sister before he raised Lazarus. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? See, this is the good news of the resurrection. He who believes in me will never die. As I was putting this sermon together, I just so desperately wanted for one of the disciples that morning to have said to the ladies, why are you all going to the grave? Don't you remember what he told us? Why are you getting the burial spices? Don't you know? He's not going to be in that grave. He told us he was going to rise from the dead. I just wanted one of them to have seen it coming, right? I wanted one of them to say, not my Lord, he's not going to be in that grave this morning. I wanted them to say, don't you remember what he told us? Don't you remember what he did to Lazarus? This man was the resurrection and the life. That grave can't hold my Lord. That's what I wanted to happen. But that's not how the story unfolds. You see, when we... A lot of times when I'm preparing a sermon, one of the things I do... Have you ever heard of the translation of the Bible called The Message? Mm -hmm. So Eugene Peterson wrote that in modern-day language. And when I'm looking for a fresh take on things, I'll pull that out and read it. And so when I was looking at that and preparing this sermon, he had the title of his chapter for Luke 24 said this. The title was, Looking for the Living One in a Cemetery. Like... Why would you think Jesus would be in the cemetery? This is the resurrection and the life. You ain't going to find our Lord in the cemetery this morning, not when he told us what was going to happen. But that's quite a take, looking for the living one in a cemetery. See, the great promise of the gospel is that not only did Jesus rise from the dead, but that in doing so, he conquered death. His death on the cross paid our debt to God, a debt that we could never pay. But the other half of the good news is not only can we substitute his death for our death, but we can substitute his life for our life. We can substitute our dying life in the flesh for the resurrection life of our Lord. See, the Bible says in Galatians 2.20 that I have been crucified with Christ so that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. See, we know that the Bible teaches that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We also know that from Proverbs, Proverbs 14 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it leads to death. 
John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Another translation says that you might have life and have a rich and satisfying life. Another translation calls that an abundant life or a life so full that it overflows. See, we know that if we want satisfaction, that if we want real life, the only place to find that life is in the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. And yet, how often, just like the disciples, do we go running to the grave looking for life? You see, how often do we jump back on the road that we know leads to death while trying to find life? In this life, we all want satisfaction, but we substitute quick satisfaction all the time for resurrection life that we can have in Jesus. See, we're hungry. We're hungry for everything. We're hungry for material things. We want everything this world will give us, but the only thing that we know will satisfy us is the bread of life himself. You see, we're thirsty. We need refreshing, but we run to the pleasures of this world Rather than, in, rather than run to the living water of Jesus who will fill every need we have. When we want direction in life, we seek out the world's wisdom. We go to self-help. We go to our good friends. We go to podcasts. We go to self-help books. But Jesus said that he is the way and the truth and the life. We need to run to Jesus for direction in our life. See, we have a saying in our culture... We say, live it up. What's that usually mean? It usually means live recklessly, (laughs) run for cheap sin, shallow satisfaction. See, we think we're living it up when we're running away from true life. But friends, the good news of the resurrection is that we don't have to stay on that road that leads to destruction. Are you looking for purpose? Are you looking for real life? Not only an afterlife, but life right now. See, the good news of the gospel is that we can start to live our eternity with Jesus, not when we die and go to heaven, but we can start to live our eternity with him now. Not like it will be when we're face to face in his presence, but in shadows, in glimpses as he begins to change us into his image, as we begin to surrender our lives and draw closer to him. His voice becomes louder. We get to know him now. The great promise of the gospel is not eternity with Christ when we die, but it's eternity immediately with him. And one day we will join him in heaven face to face. But we can start to experience that now. One last thought before I close. (coughs) As soon as Jesus rose from the dead, he began appearing to people. First, the ladies who came to prepare his body, then his disciples who were close behind him. The passage Jalen read for us where he met the disciples that night in the closed door. See, as soon as our Lord was resurrected, he went about starting to meet people. We read he also met some men on the road to Emmaus. First Corinthians tells us that he appeared to more than 500 people at a time before he went into heaven, before he ascended after his resurrection. See, after his ascension, he appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. And through the the work of the Holy Spirit and his church, he has not stopped appearing to people for the last 2,000 years. You see, Jesus didn't rise from the dead and stay there at the tomb so that only a select few who came looking for him could find him. 
after the resurrection, he continued his mission of seeking and saving the lost, first in his resurrected body, and then later through the work of the Holy Spirit and his church. So friend, this morning, if you feel it a tug, a tug at your heart, if this amazing story is gripping you for the first time, it's not because I'm a good storyteller this morning, but it's because the risen Savior is doing what he has always been doing and has appeared to you this morning. See, today is your turn for that Savior to track you down and find you. He happened to find you here this morning at Graffiti Church. But this is the mission of the Lord. This is what he does. Ever since he resurrected, he's been out there seeking souls. He's looking for them. He's looking for you this morning. So I want to close with this one question, again, that the Lord asked the sisters of Mary of Lazarus. I want to read that from, I think that was uh, Luke, oh no, that's John 11, sorry. But it said, when Jesus said to to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Thank you all for letting me share with you this morning.